0: All right, you can uh, turn in your Bibles. If You don't have a Bible, as I said, uh, as I said before, they're on the back. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Mark chapter eight as we uh, continue on in our series through Mark's Gospel. So, uh, four words that no one likes to be on the receiving end of are "I told you so." Those words generally come when a, a friend has warned you of something dangerous. And you ignore their warning because either you don't see the danger or because you see it, but it doesn't seem as dangerous as your friend is making it out to be. Uh, But then lo and behold, they were right and you were wrong. And you prepare your wounded ego to hear those despised words, I told you so. Uh, Kids, has your brother or sister or maybe even your mom and dad said to you with that smug tone, I told you so have you have you have you experienced that how, how did it feel we, we we don't like hearing those words especially when they're said in a condescending way but I, th- I think the biggest reason we detest those words is because they shine a spotlight on our foolishness don't they uh, in our pride and sin we we hate it when The enlightened and and put together uh, image that we have carefully curated for everyone else around us is, is shattered. In these instances, we are forced to acknowledge the fact that we made a foolish decision, even though someone warned us it might happen. But this morning, I'm more concerned with how we respond to warnings as they come, not the embarrassment that we feel after we have ignored the warning. Many of us hear warnings, even those offered up sincerely as judgmental, as condescending, as antithetical to a spirit of love. We think to ourselves, you know, like, it's my life. It's my business. It's my decision. Leave me alone. Stay out of my business. But uh, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I would go as far as to say that in order to actually show love, you have to be ready to to give warnings. And in order to receive love, you have to be willing to embrace warnings. You have to be able to hear a warning. Consider an abstract example and then a more concrete example. Uh, If I were driving on a steep mountain road and I learned that ahead of me, was a, a, a collapsed bridge over a cliff. If if I were to sort of just passively allow the other drivers behind me to continue on, knowing full well that they were going to plummet to their death without warning them, ha- have I acted in love? Of course not, right? Love demands a desperate, flailing warning. Don't keep driving, right? The bridge is out. You're going to drive to your death. Or or, or Parents. Which of you does not lovingly and sincerely warn your children regularly, right? And and it's an expression of your care for them. It's, it's It's a cold apathy and a careless heart that refuses to warn your children and is a sign of a true lack of love. And so it is with the Lord. He warns us. We find warnings throughout all the scriptures, Right, in the very first chapters of the Bible, we find God lovingly warning his newly created image bearer not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest he die. Right, we, we read earlier in Deuteronomy 6, we read that after giving his 10 commandments, the Lord warns his people about the dangers of embracing foreign gods as they go into the promised land. And we can multiply examples throughout the scriptures. Uh, one of those examples is our passage this morning in, in Mark chapter 8. Um, so why don't, we, why don't we turn there now? Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11. Uh, actually, we're going to start in verse 10. Listen as I read. It says, And immediately he, that's Jesus, got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This, this obviously isn't a very warm and fuzzy passage in scripture. Uh, this, the, the, the central feature of this passage is the warning that Jesus gives to his disciples in verse 15, right? Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. It's Jesus emphatically warning his disciples with maximum urgency, right? Three separate indications that Jesus means to severely warn them. We read, he cautioned them, right? It's not a suggestion. He's not just uh, passively saying, hey, you might consider this. No, it has the idea of a command. Uh, He cautions them. And then twice, watch out, beware. Right? Jesus comes to his disciples with a severe warning, with maximum urgency. Whatever this warning is, it is deadly serious. But despite the severity of this warning, and it is severe, and we're going to talk about the severity of the warning, but despite the severity of this warning, my my burden this morning is that for you, uh, that you would hear it as the loving Care and concern of your Savior for you, such that you would heed His warning and persevere in trusting Him. So, I want to unpack this warning by examining first the nature of the warning and then the reason for the warning. The nature of the warning, that is, what's this warning all about? And then the reason for the warning. Why is Jesus giving this warning? So, first, the nature of the warning. What is the content of Jesus' warning? In other words, what is he actually warning the disciples about? And what is he warning us about? Look at the warning again. Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What what does that mean? In order to get what Jesus is talking about, we need, we need to go to the beginning of the passage. So, so look again with me in verse 10. There we find that after, after the feeding of the 4,000, Uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, get in a boat and they travel to the district of Dalmanutha. And when they arrive, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. The sense here isn't that the Pharisees sort of just happen upon Jesus and engage him in a friendly conversation. The sense is more that the Pharisees have Jesus in their crosshairs and they are coming out to confront him. Uh, a, A more rigid translation would be to say that the the Pharisees came out like, like soldiers going out to battle, or, or like a, a violent gang going out to meet its rival. You can see this is the case because the very first thing they do is they begin to argue with Jesus. The Pharisees begin demanding that Jesus perform some kind of sign. And of course, you know, right, as you as you've been tracking through uh the gospel in Mark, right, Jesus has performed many miracles that the Pharisees had both seen with their own eyes, and had heard stories of. We could go back to Mark 3, where Jesus uh, calls a man up in a synagogue with a withered hand and purposefully, in full view of the Pharisees, heals him. But these miracles weren't enough for the Pharisees, right? They've, They've come demanding a sign. But not just any sign. They are demanding, you see there, the passage says, a sign from heaven. They want a heavenly sign on par with Moses' signs in the Exodus, right? They want the sun to stand still like it did for Joshua. They want a fire to come down out of heaven, like in the story of Elijah. The idea here is that they are demanding Jesus perform some amazing, irrefutable sign that he is who he says he is, namely the Son of God. They they are calling into question his identity. And in effect, they are saying, if if you're really the son of God, then prove it. Do a sign. It it, it reminds me of um, a series of essays written by C.S. Lewis. You guys know C.S. Lewis? Reminds me of a series of essays he wrote uh, that were titled God in the Dock. Uh, In one of his essays, he writes this. The ancient man approached God or even the gods as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. He is the judge. God is in the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. I think that captures well the pride of the Pharisees. His point is that in our approach to God, we've got it completely backwards. Like the Pharisees, we we set ourselves up as the judge over Jesus, and we will be the ones who weigh the evidence and make a uh, determination. In effect, we put Jesus in the dock. That is, the the dock is, is, is a term, an English term for the place of the accused. Right, the one who has, to, who has to give a defense for himself. But in reality, the exact opposite is true. Right, We, we don't stand in judgment over Jesus. He stands in judgment over us. Right? Jesus doesn't owe the Pharisees anything, and he doesn't owe us anything. But, but, but before you jump in your mind to the conclusion that Jesus is against proofs for his identity— or against a reasoned faith, I want you to understand that there isn't anything inherently wrong with looking at the miracles and signs of Jesus as verifications that he is exactly who he says he is. Right? Jesus isn't upset because the Pharisees are unwillingly to blindly put their faith in him. Right Throughout this series, I have said over and over again that a Jesus performs these miracles to authenticate the authority of his message and to authenticate his authority as the Son of God. Right? Jesus is upset because they have been given more than enough proof. They have been given evidence upon evidence, but still they will not believe and arrogantly presume to stand over him in judgment. You see, he has graciously given these miracles to reveal himself to us as as the true, bona fide, one and only son of God, supreme among them, supreme among all his signs, the resurrection from the dead. Look, if you're here weighing the claims of Jesus, if you're here investigating the claims of Jesus, but have not yet bowed the knee in humble faith, I need you to understand it's not because Jesus hasn't supplied to you the right proofs or enough evidence. It's because you have not yet understood all the evidence that he has already provided. Right? Jesus is not asking you to take some blind leap in the darkness. He has provided a proof upon proof. The fault is with your own understanding of the proofs that he has already provided, the decisive proofs. You see, the Pharisees have not come out to humbly investigate the evidence. Look closely, right? They they aren't demanding a sign because of of a sincere desire to know Jesus. Verse 11 tells us they were seeking a sign from heaven to what? To test him. But this isn't the kind of test that Jesus can pass. This is a trap meant solely to discredit him. It's the same kind of test Jesus endures in Mark chapter one, when after his baptism, he's driven into the wilderness by the spirit, right? Mark 1:13 reads, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted. It's the same exact word. You could read it. He was in the wilderness being tested by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. The, the, the demand for a sign is of the same sort as Satan saying to Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, then do X or do Y. It's not a sincere inquiry into the true identity of Jesus, but a satanic, hellish demand to meant to defame Jesus. Right? There's no sign that Jesus could perform that would convince them. They had already determined not to believe him. Despite the fact that they had seen Over and over again, his signs and his proof, his miracles with their own eyes, they refused to believe him and wanted only to destroy him. And this happens to be precisely where the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod intersect, in their opposition. Do you remember in Mark 3 where Jesus does this miracle, where in the synagogue he heals this man with a withered hand in full view of the Pharisees. Do you remember what their response is? I'll read it for you. Mark 3, verse 6. Immediately after Jesus heals the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So so what is the leaven of the Pharisees? Remember, Remember, I'm asking, what is the warning? What's the nature of the warning? So here it is. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and the, le- the, the leaven of Herod? It is an opposition to Jesus rooted in unbelief. It is an opposition to Jesus rooted in unbelief. They refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, but instead they harden their hearts toward him such that they want to kill him, that they want to destroy him. And so Jesus is saying to the, to the, to the disciples, Beware an unbelief. Beware an unbelief that will eventually result in an outright opposition to me and lead you away from me. Brothers and sisters, he's he's warning the disciples and he is warning us. Don't just hear this as a warning to the disciples. It is a warning to us this morning, to you. Beware an unbelief in your heart that would lead you away from him. But Jesus warns the disciples not only of the presence of unbelief, but of its consequence. Look how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. Verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side the first thing I want you to see there is that he sighs deeply. That sigh is an, an inward groan of anguish and sorrow. It, remi- it reminds us of uh, a passage we read just a few weeks ago, right, of Jesus' response to the deaf man, right? If you have your Bible open, it's probably right there on the same page as our passage, Mark 7:34. It says that Jesus, after taking the deaf man aside, he looked up to heaven and sighed. But but notice here, the sigh in our passage is intensified, right? Here he doesn't just sigh, he sighs deeply. What's being said? The physical deafness of the man is upsetting, is troubling to Jesus. But here there is something even more troubling to Jesus. It is the spiritual deafness of the Pharisees. They are the ones of whom Jesus says in Mark 4, See, but do not perceive, and hear, but do not understand. And then Jesus gives voice to his deep groan, saying, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And just as the generations of Noah were marked by unceasing evil, and just as the generations of Israel were marked by a stubbornness and a hardness, of heart. So this generation was marked by an evil unbelief and opposition to the Son of God, not unlike our own generation, our own generation that is marked by a, a, a bent towards sin and rebellion against God. And what I want you to see here is the eventual result, the eventual consequence of this kind of opposition and this kind of unbelief. But what I want you to see here is the eventual result of their unceasing stubbornness and hardness of heart is that Jesus cuts them off. That's what happens. Jesus cuts them off. By verse 12, Jesus has had enough. That's the idea. He's had enough. His patience with the Pharisees has run out. No more signs will be given to this generation. None. It's done. That that, that phrase is actually a, a Semitic expression that is better translated, if a sign shall be given to this generation, may I die. In other words, Jesus is saying, over my dead body will another sign be given to this generation. And then Jesus leaves. He leaves. No sign will be given to this generation, and then he leaves. But this leaving is more than just a a physical leaving. He is, of course, leaving the company of the Pharisees, but it signifies his decisive turning away from the Pharisees. He's turning his back on them. They have had opportunity after opportunity to respond with faith, with humility, but they have only grown more obstinate, more stubborn, more hard-hearted. And so he hands them over to their unbelief. So, so here is the full effect of the warning. Beware the spirit of unbelief and opposition to Jesus that will eventually result in him rejecting you and handing you over completely to your hardness of heart. Beware the spirit of unbelief and opposition to Jesus that will eventually result in him rejecting you and handing you over completely to unbelief and your hardness of heart. Look, I know that's hard to hear. Don't shut off. Don't tune out. I know it's hard to hear. The reality is that God is patient towards mankind, but that patience does not go on forever. There will come an end to God's forbearance when he will no longer overlook the sins of his enemies. Even in this life, we are told that God is presently revealing his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Even now, God is handing those who continue on in stubbornness and hard-heartedness over to their sin. The fact is that God has made himself known sufficiently and plainly in the person of Jesus Christ. And every time we harden ourselves and turn away in unbelief from the truth of who Jesus is, we draw nearer to a time when God says, fine, have it your way and hands us over to our unbelief and hardness of heart. Look, it's a warning. It's it's a warning. I want you to hear the fullness of the warning. I told you it's not a fuzzy, happy passage. It's Jesus giving a dire warning. Don't harden your hearts toward him. Don't resist him. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Look, why do I want you to see the terrifying consequences of not heeding Jesus' warning? Think about the mountain road. Remember the mountain road? Steep mountain road. I got to give a warning. Someone's got to give a warning. How much more effective do you think the warning would be if, after I've pulled the car over, I take the driver over and bring him to the edge of the cliff and show him the way down? Show him hundreds of feet so that he can better imagine what would have happened if he didn't heed my warning. How much more effective do you think the warning becomes? It would be very effective. Brothers and sisters, I I know it's hard to look at, but but see what happens if you don't heed Jesus' warning this morning. See what happens if you allow unbelief to fester and grow in your heart. It will not stop. It will spread. It will evolve into full-fledged opposition to Jesus, and eventually the Lord will hand you over to your hardness of heart You you will be counted among his enemies and cast into an eternal hell of torment characterized only by the, the unbridled justice and wrath of God against sin. Look, stand on the edge of the cliff and look down. Look at what happens if we don't heed Jesus' warning regarding unbelief. Let Jesus' warning have its full effect. And remember what I said in the beginning. What did I say in the beginning? Why does the Lord warn us? He warns us because he loves us. He warns us because he cares about us. So we've seen the the nature of the warning. And now I want you to see the reason for Jesus' warning. Why is Jesus warning his disciples? and, And why does he now warn us? Look again with me at our passage in in verse 14. Verse 14, we read, Now they had forgotten to bring bread. That's the disciples. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. The first reason for Jesus warning is that unbelief and opposition can imperceptibly spread even to his own followers while the disciples may think they have left jesus opposition behind with the antagonistic pharisees the fact is that opposition has followed jesus into the boat because the disciples are there while we may think that opposition opposition to jesus is is out there in the secular world right and that's our position right The opposition is is out there. The reality is that opposition to Jesus lives lives right here in in our own hearts, in this church. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because the same seed of unbelief in the Pharisees was in the disciples, and the same unbelief in the world is the same unbelief that can spread into our own hearts. Look at the analogy Jesus uses here. As the, as the disciples begin to discuss the fact that they don't have enough bread, Jesus says to his disciples, watch out, beware the leaven. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven, of course, is that yeast that ferments and spreads throughout the loaf so that when it's baked, it, it rises. The, the, the operative feature of leaven in this analogy is its ability to gradually spread throughout the entirety of the loaf. It begins almost imperceptibly, but after enough time, it fundamentally alters the bread. And this, this of course, is the danger of unbelief. It, it, it's a real danger for the disciples. And I want you to hear this morning, it is a real danger for you. I, I, I once heard a preacher say, I've never seen a man fall but I've seen many men slide. Never seen a man fall, but I've seen many men slide. You see, a a little hint of unbelief never remains just a hint. It grows over time, growing and growing, spreading into every area, area of your life until you find yourself utterly embittered and averse to the things of God. It's amazing to think that all of this craziness, you know, you, you think about the last six months or however long it's been, that all this craziness has been has been uh, brought about by a, a little virus, right? This, this little organism that can enter into your body and begin to grow while you may remain totally unaware. And then over time, a little cough, a little sneeze, a little tightness in your chest, and then before you know it, it's a full-blown sickness. But, but not only does it have the ability to quietly and imperceptibly spread throughout your body, it has the ability to spread throughout a community. Uh, but as dangerous as a virus like COVID-19 could be, and as, frighten as frightening as its effects for us could be uh, from a health standpoint or, or economically or, po- or politically, what we see here this morning is that there is a virus that is infinitely... Listen, There is a virus that is infinitely more dangerous than COVID-19, than Ebola, than influenza, and it is the virus of unbelief. Jesus warns the disciples because he sees the beginning of that unbelief taking root in them as they grow anxious about what they will eat. Beginning in verse 17, Jesus levels at them a litany of questions meant to, to rebuke them and snap them out of their unbelief. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Right you you can feel the intensity building in Jesus like like the man on the side of the road beginning to wave and then flail as the car gets closer to the cliff. Jesus warning comes with with real passion to his disciples. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Right in the parable of the soils. It's those who are on the outside that don't perceive or understand. And Jesus is saying, are you the ones on the outside? The Pharisees have just demonstrated their spiritual blindness and and deafness. Is your heart turned away from me like the Pharisees? Are your hearts hardened? Do you not remember? How many baskets full did we take up after the 5,000? Twelve. And how many baskets full after the 4,000? Seven. They've been with him. They have seen him provide not only for their own needs, but for the needs of thousands. And Jesus wants to know: will, will unbelief now take root in their hearts and, and lead them away? I wonder if when you when you when when I read that, when you read that, you thought something like, yeah, that's right, those disciples are dummies. Right? How could they have forgotten? Right? They just, they literally just saw him feed thousands of people? How can they now be arguing and discussing whether or not they have enough bread? What's, what's wrong with them? And, and while you look down your nose at the disciples, you unwittingly do the very same thing. We unwittingly do the very, very same thing. Right? When, when you're confronted with unpleasant circumstances, inconvenient, painful circumstances, how many of you immediately run to Jesus in faith? How often are you given to complaining, to grumbling, to whining when things don't go exactly the way you plan, when things are difficult at work, when you have an unexpected health crisis, when a close relationship is strained, when you look at your bank account, when the kids are being particularly disobedient? How often do you find yourself growing angry or anxious or fearful? I mean, let's just be honest. Right? Even, even when we get a flat tire, an appliance inexplicably breaks. Aren't we often crying out our hearts, God, how could you do this to me? But brothers and sisters, this is the same seed of, of unbelief present in the disciples. The same seed of disbelief in the Pharisees that grew into full-fledged opposition. We, we should tremble. We should tremble. We ought to be concerned about the unbelief that is in the world around us. But before we are concerned with those around us, we need to recognize the threat of unbelief in our own hearts. The second and and final reason for Jesus' warning, and, and, and if you haven't heard anything else this morning, Tune in now. This is the most important thing I want you to see. The final reason is that warnings are one of the means that Jesus uses to powerfully keep and preserve his people so that they stand firm in the faith. Warnings are one of the main means that Jesus powerfully used to keep his people standing firm in the faith. We have a tendency to make one of two errors when we come across a warning in Scripture. The first is that we we read the warning and that we fear, even though we have trusted in Christ, even though we we have uh, committed ourselves to Christ, even though we have been adopted into his family, even though we are 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 uh, repenting and believing today, even though that's the case, we fear that maybe Jesus will turn on us after all that maybe he will forsake us in the end. The, The second error is that we just totally disregard and ignore those warnings and assume that they are not for us. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. Jesus promises to all his sheep eternal life such that they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of his hand. For those who have been joined to Christ by faith they are eternally secure in him. And, and in God's wisdom, his warnings are one of the means that he powerfully uses to keep us and preserve us to the end. Do you see why it's so important to hear the warnings of Jesus? I, I hope that you have gained a healthy fear of, of the eternally dangerous consequences of disbelief. But I want you to take comfort this morning in the reality that Jesus, listen, Jesus' warnings are effective. I want you to take comfort this morning in knowing that Jesus' warnings are effective. Jesus' warnings are like a sign on the mountain road that always effectively steer his people away from the cliff. And for all those who have been saved by Christ, reconciled to the Father, adopted as sons and daughters of God, Jesus' warnings always produce in them their intended effect. Namely, perseverance in faith. Now, where do I see that in this passage? Well, we're gonna talk about this more next week, but I'm gonna to have to sort of briefly jump ahead to next week's passage for just a second. Uh, in, in just another six verses, Jesus is going to have another conversation with his disciples. The conversation now has been this litany of rebuke, litany of questions that are meant to warn the disciples. And the very next conversation marks the turning point in Mark's gospel. Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And their collective response registered by Peter is, you are the Christ. Jesus' warnings are effective. Jesus' warnings accomplish what he intends for them in the lives of his people. As we stare down the threat of of unbelief in our own hearts, our confidence is not in our ability to muster up faith in ourselves. Our confidence is in the one who promises to keep and preserve us. Our confidence is, is in the one who said in John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but in Christ. As we find unbelief in our own hearts, we don't look inward to try and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we look to Christ, the one who is able to sustain us and preserve us and strengthen us in our faith. We have all hardened our hearts towards God and we have all made ourselves enemies of, of Jesus, but Jesus Christ, the son of God, has done all that is necessary in his life and death and resurrection to provide a perfect salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God. On the cross, he paid the the full penalty for our sins, for our rebellion, for our stubbornness, for our hardness of heart, for our opposition. And he rose from the dead for our justification, having given, given us his own perfect righteousness. And now for all who have been united to Christ by faith, there there is no longer any fear of condemnation. No fear that Jesus will forsake us. Jesus will never turn his back on us or or reject us or leave us to our unbelief. He, He still warns us, brothers and sisters. He warns us with dire and severe warnings, but those warnings are evidences of a loving and powerful savior who has pledged himself to his people that he will lose nothing of all that the father has given to him. Like a father who warns his children to keep them from danger, so our heavenly father warns us and keeps us so that we might remain dependent on him and safe in him. The passage this morning ends with a question. Do you not yet understand? After Jesus' rapid fire rebuke Against the disciples, this question is best read as as a softer appeal. Do do you understand now? Do you understand now? It's a question we would all do well to ask ourselves. Do do, do you understand who Jesus is? If, If you're here this morning and you do understand and you are trusting Christ, take Jesus' warning seriously. Be on guard against any hint of unbelief in your own heart, knowing the havoc that it can wreak. But by the same token, be comforted in knowing that Jesus warns you as an expression of his love. And it's precisely through his warnings that he will keep you and preserve you until that day when he makes all things new. If you're asking yourself uh, that question this morning, who is Jesus? And you're saying, I I don't understand, but I want to. The good news is that Jesus is the source of all understanding. He he delights to make himself known to those who seek after him. So so ask him to help you understand. I I think of 1 John 5, 20. And we we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He's the one who gives understanding that we might come to know him truly. If you're here and you want to understand more about who he is, I would be happy. I would love to talk to you after the service. Brothers and sisters, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Pray to the Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. There is nothing more dangerous in this world or the world to come than an unbelief and rebellion towards God. But be comforted to know that that all who have put their faith in Christ have been eternally secured in Him, and He will not fail to keep you and preserve you. To the end, to him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that you are indeed a good Father who warns us for our good, that you protect and you preserve us by by showing us the truth of what happens when when we don't look to you in faith. We pray that you would give us hearts of humility that receive those warnings and persevere in faith persevere in trusting you and in trusting Christ. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish all your purposes through your word preached this morning and that you would receive glory in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.